Hi everybody, welcome back to the stream. We have a ton, a ton of content to get through on the stream this evening. Tonight, I want to share with you what I think is probably, I couldn't decide whether it was the best thing I ever wrote or the worst thing I ever wrote. <laughs> and I have since realized that it is both the best and the worst thing I've ever written. This is part four of the Platform Wars. This is a series I've been publishing over the past few weeks and months. And this is the piece I promised in the very beginning, a public option for social media. Going back years and years, myself, Mike Pepe, Brad Trammell, various reading groups, debating these ideas into ridiculous, granular nuance that was uh, entertaining and interesting for me. I really cared about it. I attribute most of that to being my higher education. I never got an MFA, but I certainly learned a lot just discussing these ideas with my peers. And it turns out that some of those ideas had a lot of predictive insight. They were extremely applicable in the years following. A lot of important stuff happened on social media, in the tech field in general, in geopolitical competition between states. The tech sector basically rewrote the law in every aspect of our economy. I mean, I think the most important thing to emphasize for all of this is that We've watched various market failures from the private sector. We are just really running up against the limits of the private sector. When you encounter a market failure that the private sector is unable to solve, well, that is definitely the point where the state needs to step in and correct the issue. So tonight, let's do this read. This is an elaborate shitpost of utopian thinking. Yeah, Ryan says in the chat, elaborate shitpost of utopian thinking is the DNR byline. The Platform Wars, Part 4, A Public Option for Social Media Welcome to Statebook, A Public Option for Social Media Beginning these debates over 10 years ago, I used to joke that the United States should nationalize Facebook and make it a division of the post office. If this was ever truly an option in the past, it seems highly implausible now. But the underlying provocation rings true and is more necessary than ever. So long as big monolithic platforms are privately owned and operated, lawmakers will perpetually operate decades behind new innovations and their downstream negative consequences. The good news is that the bare essentials for a public utility are relatively simple to design and do not need frequent updates. A public option for digital communications infrastructure is the only viable way to maintain regulatory control, user privacy, and democratic consensus. I'll read those again regulatory control, user privacy, and democratic consensus, in bold. This digital extension of the post office will serve as the primary entry point to tax filing, claiming benefits, voter registration, official identification, and more. In the public option for social media, every citizen will be given a yourname-at-usps.gov email address at birth. This unique, verified account will be free from any tracking or surveillance and secured with end-to-end -end encryption. Data collection will be technically impossible, but user privacy will also be secured as a political right. Today, scammers may hack your Gmail account and make you jump through annoying and costly hoops to recover it, but if they open your physical mail, they're committing a felony. An envelope is very low-tech, 
but it's an important example of how legal rights are often more secure than technical fixes in the long term. As we learned over the pandemic, having an email address is a necessary step to partake in many state services. To claim simple benefits like unemployment, citizens needed to transact with private email providers. These perverse incentives indirectly require users to produce data and value for companies like Google to claim resources they already own from the state. Statebook elegantly solves this dilemma by stipulating that all state benefits may only be accessed online by verified accounts within its service. This public option will not be a replacement for private services, similar to how the USPS operates alongside private couriers like FedEx or UPS. Statebook will run parallel to Gmail, Signal, Twitter, Meta, and others. Users are free to transact their commercial business or personal mail through private services, but they may only receive official communiques like voter registration and tax information through the digital USPS. Each year, you will receive a pre-filled tax filing from the verified account irs at usps.gov. Statebook will serve as the sole digital gateway to online tax filing. When it's time to renew your driver's license, passport, or other forms of official identification, you will receive a friendly reminder in the form of a statebook notification and access its ID services using your unique account. These official mandates will spur the greatest network effects of any platform yet to exist. Statebook's total addressable market is the entire population of the United States, over 335 million, with an impressive 100% saturation rate. This online extension of the post office will also include a digital deposit box that allows for postal banking. Postal banking is already available in almost every other advanced country. Logging into your Statebook account will allow you to deposit, withdraw, or pay bills. Users may also choose to hold their deposits as treasury bills, purchased directly from the U.S. government, and earn a handsome 5.5% interest rate, outpacing any commercially available high-yield savings account. Naturally, these assets will be insured by the FDIC. In instances where customer service is required, citizens wish to make cash deposits or print physical copies of their digital mail, the USPS is glad to offer 30,000 brick-and-mortar locations already operating and conveniently located in your town. United States Posting Service In addition to email correspondence with individuals, businesses, and state services, there is a highly popular feature called Post to All. Rather than landing in the inbox of a unique recipient, post-to-all messages will be placed in a publicly accessible and algorithmically sorted newsfeed. But the newsfeeds on Statebook will be organized much differently than services in the past. Posts can be tagged as temporary or permanent. Edit histories will be publicly audible for as long as posts remain up. Text posts must include a minimum character count of 500 to substantiate controversial opinions. Text posts over 1,500 words will have the option to be paywalled, so creators are appropriately compensated for their labor. Statebook limits each user to a total number of 1,500 follows. Similar to the early design of Facebook, which capped users at 5,000 friends, if you wanted to follow a new account, you will need to unfollow another account. These strict limitations will force users to choose between following friends and family or following celebrities and influencers. Statebook rewards long-term social connections over attention-hacking exploits. Unless follows are scarce, news feeds will inevitably tip towards pop stars and comedy clips. In the near future, 
Users may log onto private social media services for tabloid-like entertainment, but will check Statebook for important updates from friends and family. Each day, users are given a capped total of 24 likes. This number is reset once daily. If you use them up before the time elapses, you may continue to browse further content, but no longer assign new likes. This limited number of daily likes will encourage users to respond to more meaningful content and carefully consider how they spend their limited upvotes. Unless likes are scarce, news feeds will inevitably tip towards clickbait. To be sure, some users will carelessly assign their likes to pop stars or cute cats and run out before they scroll further to see their cousin's baby announcement. This will certainly result in awkward conversations the following day and provide ample opportunity for users to reconsider their values and priorities. A system of universal basic likes may open up the possibility for some disreputable influencers to attempt to purchase likes on third-party websites. This indirect form of advertising, i.e. paying other users to like your content, will be considered analogous to mail fraud. Obstruction of digital correspondence. (laughs) Obstruction of digital correspondence will incur penalties of up to $25,000 and up to 20 years in prison and mandatory public service as a content moderator. There are no bans or TOS violations on Statebook. Breaking the rules is illegal and you get sent to jail. Any noise ban that receives over 10 likes will immediately be flagged as suspicious content. On Statebook's unique algorithm, engagement has diminishing returns. Lengthy comment threads will decrease with each order of magnitude and eventually become counterweighted. Tens of comments are fun. Hundreds of comments mark a life achievement, like graduation. But thousands of comments means a post is likely so polarizing that it casts negative externalities onto the rest of society. Only terrible things happen after a thousand comments. Statebook's recommendation algorithm is weighted against selfies. Your profile picture is your driver's license. There are no pronouns or additional information in your bio, just your legal name, which can easily be changed using Statebook's official service. While many of these features may seem counterintuitive to today's experience of social media, It's helpful to recall that on day one, Statebook will have over 335 million active users. This unprecedented scale will allow it to enforce new behaviors that run against the attention dynamics of today's private platforms. Statebook is not subject to the competitive pressures of the market because it has a unique monopoly on features that are only accessible through its platform. It's literally the government. While these frameworks will not entirely eliminate negative behaviors, they will strongly disincentivize them. Digital postage. The USPS requires users to purchase a stamp in order to mail a letter. Meanwhile, we send our online messages for free and wonder why the internet is full of spam. A small user fee massively limits the infinite scale exploits of online advertising models and shapes all communication that occurs within this sphere. On Statebook, all posts and comments will cost one-tenth the rate of a forever stamp. Data-heavy content like long-form video will cost proportionately more. Users will purchase digital postage at the set price of the current year, and these units will be honored in perpetuity, similar to physical postage. The average Facebook page posts 1.6 times a day. For most users, the monthly cost of participating on public social media will be about $3.16 less than the cost of a single Patreon or Substack subscription. We will explore these numbers in more depth later. 
Placing the posting costs onto users will have considerable social impacts. Commenting on someone's post will mean something much more than it does now. Although the fees are minimal, it shows that you care far greater than free-to-use social media. Digital user fees will also massively reduce spam and cause users to think more before they post. Undoubtedly, aficionados will collect these digital stamps for posterity. Some may even treat them as an investment, a hedge against inflation or digital postage rate increases in the future. In fact, this behavior is encouraged by Statebook as it provides a healthy stream of revenue on the retail market and a trickle of royalties on the secondary. Rare stamps from 2024 have been known to fetch hefty prices from connoisseur collectors in 2049. The USPS will also generously maintain a digital national postal museum that users may freely browse for archival purposes, education, and aesthetic appreciation. (laughs) Civil Servant Moderation Statebook is not for dissident political meme posting. It's the onboarding platform to digital public services attached to the bare essentials of social media. All accounts are unique and given to users as a right of citizenship. No one can be deplatformed and subsequently debanked. Anonymous or pseudonymous political posting may still take place on private platforms. Statebook employs a robust team of human moderators that carefully review all legal speech. There are no disclaimers or warning labels attached to content. All legal speech is permitted and protected under the First Amendment. User fees, minimum character requirements, and redesigned algorithms will massively limit the divisive and outrageous content that overwhelmingly dominates on ad-driven alternatives. Content moderators work in two shifts, from 5 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., and from 2.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. Because Statebook is... (laughs) Fuck. Okay, I didn't... From 2.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. Because Statebook is closed for lunch. (laughs) Because Statebook is closed for lunch. Outside. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a joke. It's not not a joke. Like, it's actually very good labor practices. Yeah, state-mandated siesta. There's no reason if the government controlled the public option of social media, they would just close for lunch like any normal other business. That would be a benefit to all society. I promise it's a very good idea. Outside of open hours, users will be able to browse content, but they will need to wait until the site opens the following day to send new messages. While this was initially perceived as a mild inconvenience, users were ultimately grateful for the new rules because, let's be honest, anything posted after 10 p.m. is usually regretted the next day. Twitter, Meta, and other inferior private couriers may graciously accept a small bump in their traffic during these off hours. The dynamics of free-to-use social media have caused many liberals and progressives to revise their commitments to the First Amendment. Online, certain types of inflammatory speech travel further and faster than others. To combat this asymmetry, platforms have attempted to replace time-tested political freedoms with terms of service and community guidelines. But, unsurprisingly, Radical content still continues to dominate across all of social media. It's easy to forget that we already have rigorous legal frameworks for political speech. In the case of the internet, the problem has always been that social media is free to use, free to post, and free to browse, because it is wholly and fully supported by advertising. Unless we change the medium through which this speech flows, 
by introducing digital stamps and paywalls, these Band-Aid solutions will continue to be ineffective. For example, imagine what adding the cost of a stamp would do to the quote tweet button. Once we depart from the advertising model, protected legal speech will rapidly become the preferred framework. Citizen privacy. To protect the privacy and security of citizen users, Statebook may only be accessed from inside the United States. VPNs are not allowed. Additionally, users will identify themselves with multiple points of personal history and bio-identification. Hacking an account or improperly accessing data will be considered a felony offense, analogous to opening someone's mail. In some instances, it may be considered an act of treason. Statebook uses end-to-end encryption, like Signal, just like physical mail, Users' letters are not visible to the Postal Service itself. No one can technically or legally open your digital envelopes. When private companies and corporations are inaugurated, we may consider assigning them a unique statebook address categorized by EIN. At this point, Reddit libertarians are likely fuming. Why would I trust the government with my data? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. The sole purpose of the Snowden revelations was to impart that all communications by United States citizens on private networks are already illegally surveilled by the worst elements of the state apparatus. Private surveillance is the existing reality. Statebook may eventually stand as a similar risk, but it opens up the radical possibility of new social benefits that the private option necessarily forecloses. In the case of regime change or authoritarian takeover, we can rely on Statebook's end-to-end encryption, making surveillance technically impossible. While rapid regime change is always a looming threat within democratic society, the strongest hedge against authoritarian takeover is a robust and politically engaged public, which notably is the greatest advantage of Statebook, achieved by bundling together necessary services like identification, tax payments, and banking with democratic processes such as voting. Okay, but how are you going to pay for it? In a political environment where we allot $816.7 billion to the annual defense budget, it feels mildly insane to justify any other form of spending. But we will do it anyway. Right now, you're getting big Web2 services for free because the indirect subsidy of advertising covers the cost of your user fees. Advertising accounts for a staggering 90% of total revenue on Twitter and over 97% of revenue for Meta. This sole source of income dominates every design decision on the platforms. To get around this core problem, we need to find alternative methods of funding. The good news is that this problem has already largely been solved by an innovative technology called the stamp. Similar to gas transactions on Web3 platforms, this minimal user fee, or digital stamp, will fund the transmission and hosting of information without the need for advertising subsidies. I see Dion in the chat says, you can just print more money. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can do that. And we may do some of that. Imagine if social media was off on holidays. Fuck yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's closed like the fucking post office. You're trying to mail a package on Christmas, New Year's? Not gonna happen. The doors are locked. We're doing the same thing on Statebook. Exactly. And everybody has the day off. All the content moderators have the day off too. That's what I'm fucking talking about. Mailing a letter from New York to Connecticut only travels tens of miles, but it costs the same as mailing a letter that travels many thousands of miles from New York to Alaska. 
In a narrow market logic, this means that users are technically overpaying for messages that are sent to nearby locations, like Connecticut, but underpaying for messages that travel very far, like Alaska. This economic model of cross-subsidization is designed to encourage correspondence and transactions between all users within the greater space, linking them together as a social body. The same protocols will apply here to digital stamps, one flat rate for all messages. Text, image, or video, under a reasonable size, will all be covered by a single stamp. Higher fees will apply for sending bigger files, just as with heavier packages. Flat rates encourage customers to reliably and eagerly use a service without incurring surprise costs. So-called overpaying for text posts will subsidize the greater hosting resources needed for video. Most posts will fall under the aforementioned flat rate digital postage, just one-tenth of a forever stamp. In addition to disincentivizing flame wars and negative social behaviors, digital postage will also provide a tremendous source of revenue for Statebook. While these fees are minimal to each individual user, they create an enormous surplus at scale. In 2023, a forever stamp costs 66 cents. Digital postage will cost one-tenth of this price, resulting in a 6.6 cent user fee per post or comment. In the United States, the average Facebook account posts 1.6 times per day. Over a 30-day month, this amounts to a total cost of $3.16, or an annualized cost of $37.92. Multiplied by Statebook's active user base, 335 million, user fees will bring in approximately $12,730,000,000 per year. That's a $12.7 billion starting budget in user fees alone. Each year, the United States sends about 15 billion letters and over 120 billion pieces of mail. Each of these correspondences are also potential candidates to be sent over Statebook at a greatly reduced cost with far less emissions compared to physical mail, all of which can be expected to increase revenue as email increasingly becomes the preferred method of correspondence. In 2000, the government of Iceland chose to sell its medical and genealogy data for private sector medical research. Statebook will include a data marketplace where citizens may choose to lease their anonymized data to public or private entities. The technical, medical, and social innovations produced with this data will be held as publicly owned patents, exploited for social benefit rather than private profits. The revenue generated through such leases will be credited to citizens as direct deposits into their Statebook accounts. Public digital infrastructure is designed for the benefit of society and rightly warrants resources. Similar to the United States Post Office, Statebook may also operate at a small loss. But this loss on the side of state ledgers must also be considered as a stimulus to individuals. By design, Statebook keeps prices below market rate to create spillover value for the private sector. New businesses are encouraged by having access to affordable and trustworthy service, the maintenance and upkeep costs of Statebook should be viewed as diffuse investment which facilitates new profitable transactions. For example, a Shopify store may send a digital receipt to a Statebook address, consuming approximately $0.07 cents worth of compute, while only costing $0.6, .6 cents to send the message. But the transaction itself produces greater sales and results in new taxable revenue. To evaluate Statebook's profitability, we must look past its immediate balances and account for its broader impact onto society and private business. Messages sent to a Statebook address from external private services, like Gmail or Meta, 
will also need to pay for postage in order for their correspondence to arrive. As Statebook becomes the default email address for the overwhelming majority of Americans, this newly normalized user fee will likely be adopted by private services. Instituting a standardized user fee will create a new source of income for private platforms and help shift them away from being fully reliant on advertising revenue. Perhaps surprisingly, Statebook is also, in part, ad-supported. But the ads featured on Statebook are only those that draw attention to the plentiful public services and utilities of which citizens may partake. The vast reach of this public platform will outperform all other physical and digital ad placement, such that the full advertising budgets of all public entities shall swiftly be rerouted to the platform. The secondary revenue stream will further offset operating costs and bring valuable attention to abundant public services. Lastly, any overrun costs of Statebook should be considered as the obvious and necessary cost of preserving popular democracy against the backdrop of our existing social media platforms, whose ruthless libertarian designs seek to inflame differences and irreparably fracture the social body. That's all. Okay, almost through it. This is my conclusion paragraph here, aside from a few very brief notes at the end of it. Digital public infrastructure is a necessary part of civic life in the 21st century. Years ago, many of us mistook free-to-use ad-driven platforms as the benevolent generosity of the private sector. We later learned that the hidden costs of these communication networks were offloaded onto journalism, creative life, and the political process. Although the platforms purported otherwise, their design was always political. They sought to liquidate institutions, erode social bonds, and usher in an era of frictionless and unregulated transactions. To restore political and cultural consensus, we need to redesign our communication networks along social democratic principles. Buying a stamp is a good place to start. And that is part four of the Platform Wars, the public option for social media. Okay, I'm going to give a very, very brief paragraph here. Uh, I, know, I know Jack would be uh, totally into this one. I do. I appreciate you're signing up. You're signing up for Statebook. My last note here before I sign off for this evening. In the 2010s, I was a cynic against the backdrop of relentless techno-optimism. In the 2020s, I'm an optimist against the overwhelming techno-nihilism. It's important to remember that big social media platforms broke in the late 2010s. Between fake news, extremism, and disinformation, tech barons were finally confronted with the real social costs of the disruptive tools they created. Tech innovations of the millennial era, like free-to-use social media, disruptive startups, and the gig economy, are now viewed with a deep skepticism by the public. The tools of the next generation will be built with these failed experiments in mind. New technologies and philosophies, like platform cooperativism, could positively reconfigure today's online experience. The good part of hitting rock bottom is that it only gets better from here. Damn, we made it the whole way, we made it the whole way through. Damn, okay, so I spent, uh, I spent a few months like trying to think really big picture about this, you know, allow myself to go down all the LARPy ridiculous rabbit holes. There's a lot of stuff that I kind of exaggerated for comedic effect, then I edited it back, I reeled it in, and I realized, actually, no, it is kind of a great idea to just close social media in the middle of the day. Like, close it for lunch. <laughs> Treat it like the post office. 
We already have these time-tested frameworks of how humans communicate, what are the boundaries of political speech. We don't need the tech sector to reinvent all of that. States and politics existed long before the internet. Let's stick with some of those existing rules that have seemed to work really well. I think that makes sense. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Starting the platform wars, basically I wanted to make an excuse for myself to write this essay. I wanted to compress all of the stuff that like Brad and Mike and myself had talked about for so many years, this politically minded critique of social media, the limits of the private sector, where the state needs to step in to correct some of these things. And I wanted to put it all all in the same place, you know, so probably to be totally fair, this is an essay that one of us should have written in 2011, 2012, like we should have written it 10 years ago when we first started talking about this stuff and imagining some of the future consequences of social media and all of these other technologies. So um, I started this series to have an excuse for myself to kind of compress all of that knowledge to make the elaborate shitpost that surprisingly in some moments gives you a bit of insight that you didn't have before. So that is the power of suspending your disbelief. That's the power of LARP. That's the power of opening up your political imagination. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you picked up something from this as well.